The following is a message by Dr. Michael Horton of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Continuing our series through Exodus, we'll be looking at Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That last question really is the theme of this episode, the question that is raised throughout Israel's history, reprised here in that very terse summary. Is the Lord with us or not? You remember Moses interceding for the people after uh, uh, the later episode of the golden calf. God says, "I, I will start with you. I will whittle the whole camp down to you and start all over again. But Moses intercedes and God relents. And and yet God says, I I will not go with the people for they're a rebellious people. And Moses pleads, if you do not go with us, if the pillar and the fire do not accompany us, nothing will distinguish us from the world. Israel needed God's presence, but it was a double-edged sword to have God around. (laughs) To be led by God was a great blessing, but it also meant that Israel was judged by God. Is the Lord among us or not? That's the central question of the whole covenant and uh, really of this passage. What's really remarkable is that in contrast to Pharaoh, Yahweh enters into a covenant with his people. He allows them to sue him. (laughs) He enters into a, a covenant with such great accommodation and condescension that there is mutual accountability. Uh, it can be done. There, there can be lawsuits against the suzerain, but it's always risky. Not so much because God is more powerful, but because God is just. God is always right. God is always faithful. That is never in question. And so God goes to court here in this passage. The people present their case. It's a lawsuit over water. Californians know all about that. It's the most basic human need, and already there's been uh, some complaining around 
uh, the whole issue of water in chapter 15, and the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. Then the Lord made for them a statute and a rule and there he tested them saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. And that was demonstrated in his healing of the waters. But now their good faith has been abused and, and they've been brought out into this wilderness to die when they could be enjoying free-flowing water from the tap in Egypt. And, and so this, is pla this place is called Massah, test, Meribah, lawsuit, in case we're wondering what's going on here. <laughs> the place is named by the event that takes place. It is a courtroom trial. It is a covenantal test and the people threatened to carry out the sentence of treason against Moses, as if Moses is the one who is leading his people to the promised land. Why do you contend with me, Moses asks them. Why do you tempt Yahweh? Why are you putting Yahweh on trial? Moses was right to remind the people that Yahweh was Israel's creator and deliverer. That, that Yahweh was Israel's judge. But what's really remarkable about this story is that God doesn't demand his due rights here. The kindness and love of God is so fully expressed in the fact that he condescends to be put on trial by the very people he is testing. As these great events in Biblical history require witnesses. God commands Moses to take the elders and to pass before the people the rod that turned the Nile to blood, the rod that parted the waters of the Exodus is now to be raised against this rock in judgment. It's God's own rod. Moses is merely the ambassador. The great king uses his scepter to destroy and to heal. And so to understand this event, we have to recall two key events in redemptive history that you know plenty about. Genesis 15, where God himself assumes the responsibility for the covenant, walking between the pieces. And then the second is Exodus 3, where we read that God heard the groaning of his people in Egypt and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and he knew. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And throughout the patriarchal narratives where we see the angel of the Lord not without reason, Christians have interpreted this as a theophany. This is Yahweh anticipating the incarnate messenger of God. And so here is God standing in the midst of the flaming bush, calling Moses to his task and promising him that after the exodus, he will lead his people right back to the same mountain, Horeb, Sinai. 
In the Old Testament civil code, standing before was also a courtroom term. Standing before the judge. It was appearing before the court. As we read in Deuteronomy 19.17, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. To stand before the judges and priests was to stand before the Lord. Well, that makes sense. He's the great king. They're merely his servants. And they will stand before him in his courtroom in the controversy. But here, God instructs Moses to allow the people to prosecute him. See, putting the focus back on God, God is the one who leads his people out of slavery. God is the one who protects his people. God is the one who heals his people. And God is even the one who will absorb Israel's controversy with Moses. Recall again the angel of the Lord appearing in the burning bush at Horeb. The same mountain. The same mountain where Moses received his commission and where he will later receive the law. And God is in effect telling Moses now, look, I'm standing on the rock at Horeb. Right where I stood in the burning bush and right where I'll stand to deliver my law to you. A mountain filled with smoke and burning fire. God's cosmic judgment seat come down to earth. But the God who passed between the pieces in Genesis 15 now commands Moses to strike the uh, the rock with a staff. Same staff that when raised will yield victory in Israel's first holy war in the next uh, passage. As in the pillar of cloud, God led his people, so we read here that the rock followed them to provide water in the wilderness. In Numbers, we read, Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? Why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Because Egypt was so pristine. It is not a place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there isn't even any water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock, tell the rock before uh, their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock, for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. So all that Moses was supposed to do was talk to the rock. Say, we're thirsty. Just let the rock know and the rock would provide the water. Maybe Aaron and Moses themselves had contributed to the hue and cry. Maybe they were not sufficiently directing the faith and confidence of the people to Yahweh. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? You see how they're kind of subtly shifting. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock 
And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Mirabah, lawsuit, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. See, instead of just speaking to the rock, Moses, in anger, struck the rock twice. He also condemned the people when he should have interceded for the people. This is what God himself wanted to be done. Yes, they're a stiff-necked people, but they're my people. You don't talk to the rock that way, you don't treat the rock that way, and you don't treat my people that way. Now Moses and Aaron were quarreling with God, in effect questioning, is the Lord among us or not? And for this, Moses was barred from leading the people into Canaan. Isaiah prophesies the day when God will deliver Jerusalem. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, a man will be as a hiding place from the wind and a cover from the tempest as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a rock in a weary land. And in John 4, the Samaritan woman came to the well for water and Jesus offered himself as the living water. In John 7, we come to the Feast of Tabernacles, Israel's annual celebration of God's provision of of water from the rock that anticipated a greater day of provision in the future. As Zechariah had prophesied, in that day it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name is one. And that was celebrated and anticipated in this seven-day feast, celebrating God's victory in the wilderness, provision of water in the wilderness, precisely the, the event that we see here. That feast culminated in the ceremonial drawing of water from the well, and it was on that day that we read John 7, 37, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then on Good Friday, he allowed himself to be put on trial in the flesh. He stood on the rock. He stood not just before the Lord, but before the people crying, crucify him, crucify him. And instead of taking up his heavenly majesty and destroying the rebels, he allowed them to strike him with his own rod. And when he cried, it is finished, the rock of ages was struck with a Roman spear and immediately blood and water came rushing out and they looked on him whom they had pierced. That's why Paul says that the Old Testament fathers all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. So here we are today, no better than the Israelites grumbling, 
putting God to the test. We do it quietly. We don't, you know, announce Yahweh versus the people, or the people versus Yahweh. We don't put it in the newspaper that this Sunday we're going to put God on trial. But we do it regularly in our lives, the slightest threat to our personal peace and happiness. No better than Moses, who led his anger at the circumstances and the burden of his responsibility, direct his attention away from Yahweh who heals, Yahweh who saves, Yahweh who provides. You'll find that many times in your ministry. What a burden you have placed on me with these people. No better than the Jewish and Roman leaders who put God on trial. When it was they who rightly deserved God's blow of judgment. God is better than us. God is better than us. Even while we were enemies, he reconciled us to himself through the death of his son. The ugly Roman stake on Golgotha wasn't really Caesar's. It was Yahweh's. It was God's own staff of justice, which he allowed to strike him so that out of him would flow rivers of living water to refresh his people. Forgive them, for they do not even know what they're doing. And then in the nearly last verses of the Bible, we read, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Come to that fountain, O drink and live freely, freely. Come to that fountain, O drink and live, flowing for every sinner. The spirit and the bride say, come freely, freely. And he that is thirsty, let him come and drink of the water of life. The fountain of life is flowing, flowing freely, freely. The fountain of life is flowing. It's flowing for you and for me. Let's pray. Our great Father, we thank you that you are better than we are. That you are more faithful, more kind, more generous even while you are more just. You, you didn't let bygones be bygones, but you also didn't crush us. Instead, you absorbed yourself, that blow that justice gave. Help us, Father, to revel in that, to release all of our fears, all of our burdens, all of the trials that we think sometimes are too oppressive for us to bear. Help us to refresh ourselves with that rock, with that fortress, with that source of living water that flows for all who trust in him. For we pray in his name. Amen. Copyright 2013, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.